0: We're going to get
1: this thing going.
0: On the count of three, let's all say hallelujah. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! All right, let's stand to your feet. Look in your hymnal. Look in your hymnal number 521. Stand to your feet if you're able. We're going to sing a new name in glory. We're going to kick things off with this. 521 in your hymnal. Stand to your feet if you're able.
2: started growing together. We thank you for everything in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you so much. Announcements this week. uh, I want to be sure and talk about our Wednesday night services. Uh, Brother Bill Gallagher is here with us this morning. He'll He'll be leading the message. He'll be bringing the word to us today. And he's also lined up to be with us for the next two Wednesdays. So... Wednesday of this month, our plan was, unless it changes, was to, it might change. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to announce this today. The last time I tried to announce Wednesday night uh, in August, which somewhere on the Wednesday night in August, we're going to have a testimony night, and uh, I've got a special guest coming, whichever night it ends up being on that Wednesday night got a special guest coming to give his testimony. Many, many, many of you will know and love Tom Carlisle. Tom Carlisle has been uh, just really, really a tough time with his health over the past year or so. And uh, I've been able to talk to him several times and uh, just really am looking forward to him coming and sharing his testimony. And so since we've got five Wednesdays on on the month of August. We were just going to fit him in somewhere. So we'll let you know when and where that's going to be. Uh, the other uh, uh, the other announcement I can think of is that Women's Fellowship. Uh, do you want to talk about
1: Women's just Fellowship? Go yes, just real fast. I, I just want you all to know that this is the only fundraiser that we're having other than this beginning for this year. It's a bake sale. Donations only. We're out the lobby tomorrow Next Sunday morning, purchase uh, dirty, uh, to us uh, in the morning or after church, if you'd like So please participate. There's containers out there for you to take home. Please uh, help us refurbish uh, our fellowship uh, account so that we can have more fellowship
0: at uh, women's gallery. Thank you. Okay, so then there's more information in your bulletin uh, about our. Men's and women's Bible studies and things like that? Or is there any errors or anything that need to declare to get straight in? Okay, so let's just continue. Oh, there's another. Okay, so we've got an announcement
1: back here. I just want to thank everybody for the.
0: Uh, we have other other folks that are in our congregation. A lot of times that aren't here today that we're praying for. But uh, the uh, the prayer chain is led by Flo Downing, and the number is the phone number is in your bulletin to call her if you if you want to be added to the prayer chain, and uh, she takes care of that, and then that that uh, information gets passed around to dozens and dozens of people uh, that just continue to. Pray and pray and pray. So, uh, so, what an answer to prayer. Isn't our God good? He is so awesome. Let's continue to worship Him with a, a praise song when it's in your bulletin called I Keep Falling in Love with Him. I Keep Falling in Love
1: with Him. Can you pray with Him and the worship? Please um, take care of all your people in this country and around the world and look out for our leaders. Please bring a revival over, our land, help our people to follow you again, Lord. Um, Please save our country and don't let it be ruined. It's very close to falling and I just pray for our country and our military. (laughs) And all of your people and those who are going to know you eventually. I pray for everyone, Lord. And I just pray for all the hearts that will be open to your word today. And to you thank you for your fellowship. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: test. While we have offering plate. So they can go ahead and be dismissed now if they want to go and get into their Sunday school classes. And so we're gonna pray over this offering. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we're just so humble. Just humble before you, Lord. We're in your presence right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, just we're just uh, thrilled, Lord, that we have you in our hearts and we look to you for every step we take and every decision that we make. And Lord uh, as this offering plates get passed in the sanctuary this morning, Lord, we ask for the for the monies that's given and the blessings that are handed back to you, Lord, just to be used in a way that touches this entire community and people for you and just uh, changes hearts. And so in your name, Lord, we take this offering and we just ask a blessing upon it. And uh, in thankfulness, uh, we give uh, according to what we've received, Lord, because you've been so, so fabulous to us. Thank you.
2: With all of you. And I was just informed that you have a new and running air conditioner. Do yes. you feel it? I'm feeling it. So thank you for that. Very nice. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, would you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15? Luke chapter 15. So, I will not be here this Wednesday. I'll be here a week from Sunday, not next Sunday. I'm going to do a two-part series, but PK is going to teach next Sunday, I think. So, I'm doing a two-part series on brokenness. Repentance and brokenness in our life, and how the Lord uses that. Starting tonight, and we will skip a week, and I'll do another one. PK's next week, and then uh, we'll work out the Wednesdays. Uh, Coming forward. It Have you ever lost something or someone that miraculously was found or brought back into your life? The most embarrassing story I have about someone that I lost was my six-year-old son at that time, Joe. We'd been to church. I I don't remember if I preached that Sunday or not, but we were all at church together, and uh, my responsibility was to take Joe to Grandma's house for lunch after the service. And so I was at Grandma's house, And uh, um, I got a phone call while I was there. And said, it was from the Sunday school teacher, and he said, did you forget someone? (laughs) (laughs) I forgot my son, Joe, who was still at church. Now I know all you ladies are shaking your head. But quite embarrassing. Yet when it hit me that I... Uh, he was gone, missing, I lost him temporarily. The Sunday school teacher said, he's with me, don't worry, and then I broke every speeding law to get back there again. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: Not long ago, I, I have, I guess I need to tell you this, this is just a personal confession, I have a problem of losing things. I don't know if it's ADD, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm too busy, but I forget things and I lose things on occasion. Okay. About two months ago, Jenny and I went camping up to Lost Creek and uh, we're leaving Lost Creek and their, their dump site was closed or not working. And so we had to go to a gas station down at Shady Cove to a dump site. Well, when we got there, it dawned on me that my keys were missing. Jenny had hers, but my keys were missing. And those keys were like the keys for my whole life. (laughs) House, cars, office, like everything. So I said, let's forget dumping right now. We need to rush all the way back up to Lost Creek because I'm certain that those keys are there. Went all the way up there. They were not where I thought they would be. And we talked to every camp host that if you find these keys, call me. They were very, very helpful. So then we turned around and left the camp a second time and went to the dump station and then drove all the way back to Medford. We live in Medford. Still no call for the keys. And when i parked our trailer i'm starting we're starting to take things down and everything and i seen. i glanced behind my propane tanks and i saw a little glitter the keys what probably happened is I, as i was taking them the trailer and setting the truck up i put the keys down on my propane tanks forgot they were there And so when I drove off, they fell behind the big box that they're in and landed right on a thin bar in between the propane tanks and stayed there from Lost Creek to Shady Cove to Lost Creek and to Medford. And when I found those keys, I thought I was born again, again. (laughs) I was so excited to find something that I lost. One more story. When we first got married, about two months after Janie and I got married, almost 20 years ago, I asked her, I said, honey, have you found my checkbook and my sweatshirt? no honey I don't know where your checkbook and sweatshirt is and ever since then for the last 20 years when I say have you found the keys to my car or have you found my bible she'll say honey they're probably with your sweatshirt and your checkbook (laughs) so there's a little bit about who I am and so I relate to Luke chapter 15 Because the Lord tells three parables, we're only going to focus on one, but he tells three parables in Luke 15 about things that were lost and then found. In the first part of the chapter, he talks about the lost sheep and how the shepherd finds him and carries him back. Then he talks about a lost coin that was lost while a home was being swept and it was found. But the last section is probably the most familiar section. And that is the prodigal son who was lost then found. Or we can actually title this chapter the prodigal father who had lost the son. The father needed to be found again if you know what I mean. So let's start in verse 1 through 3 and then we'll jump down to verse 11. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Him, to hear the Lord tell these parables. Sinners imply the immoral, the compromised, the impure, citizens of the area. The immoral were there in the category of sinners. And tax collectors were some of the most hated people in the Jewish community because they were hired by the Romans to gather the Jews' taxes And they always inflated their taxes because they wanted to cut above the taxes. So they were thieves. You probably know the story of Zacchaeus, the little thief who was hiding up in a tree and then Christ spent the night at his house and he he became converted. People hated him. So the tax collectors were very, very hated. Then there was a group of very immoral, impure people that were there as well. And then there were the Pharisees. Verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teacher who had issues of their own, we'll talk about them later, they were the leaders of the law, they muttered, they grumbled under their breath, looking disapprovingly at the sinners and tax collectors. They said, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that was their problem. Very legalistic, very self-righteous, very holy in their own eyes, grumbling because the Lord Jesus was showing grace to the tax collectors who were hated the sinners, and he tells two stories, and he gets to the third one. So let's jump down to verse eleven. He says, "Jesus, it reads, Jesus, continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "Father, give me my share of the estate." So he divided his property between them. Very clear. The younger son wanted to cash in. He wanted an early inheritance because he did not want to live, he was probably around 17, he did not want to live any longer under the house rules. Or the house's faith. So he's taken off, and of course, 17 year olds generally think they know everything. If you haven't discovered that. I always like what Mark Twain said about 17 year olds. He says, When I was 17, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. <laughs> But when I became 21, I was amazed at how much he learned in four years. (laughs) And so he thought he could do better on his own. And he asked his father for his inheritance, which was quite bold and obnoxious, because the law stated that the father who owned the inheritance, didn't have to give it to his family, or in most cases, wouldn't give it to his family until he was dead. So what this young, arrogant man is actually stating is that his father, in his mind, was as good as dead to him. No respect. He wanted what his father had, but he didn't want his father. It reminds me of another conversation I had with my son Joe when he was 17. I was taking him to school, and he goes, Dad, I I, I just learned something very interesting. One, One of my friends has parents, and they're very, very wealthy. And they give him everything he asked for. And it's really confusing to me because he hates them and has no respect for them. He gets everything he wants, yet he hates his parents. And I said, now, son, why do you think that would be? And he said, because they give him everything he asked for. I said, that's profound, Joe. That's what this younger brother expects. Then the father did something very, very shocking because it wasn't uh, customary in that day to do this for your family. Someone else would do it after your death. Spread it around. And so... Without hesitation, now you do understand that the father in this story is, represents God the father. The youngest son, the rebellious one who wanted out of the faith is you and I. And the older brother, as we're going to see, represented the Pharisees that are also listening to this story. So the father gives this boy no argument. He cashes out his share of the estate to a 17 year old, no less. The younger brother would get a third of the estate, the older brother would get two thirds. He cashes out to his youngest son without any hesitation. The father, in his wisdom, realized. Now, those of you that have teenagers that are going to be leaving soon, those of you that are grandparents, maybe raising your teenagers, think about this. The father knew that it was best, best, for the son to go beyond his own. His heart wasn't with them anyway. My daughter was 18. Her 18th birthday. And said, Dad, she wasn't wasn't out of high school yet. She said, Dad, you mind if I move in with a couple of girlfriends? I said, not at all. You're not getting a nickel from me, but not at all. (laughs) A great relationship with my daughter. She was back in four months, you know. But the father knew that it was wisdom to let his son go because he didn't have his heart anyway. It was protective of his home and his wife and his other brother. And this boy, he to learn a lesson, evidently. And so the father gave him, actually gave him, what he asked for. Verse 13. Not long after that, All he had, he set off for a distant country and then there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, he doesn't explain what type of wild living it was. We can come up with our own opinions. But whatever wild living it was, The money ran out real fast. He was taken advantage of. All of his new friends probably helped him spend his inheritance. But it was gone fast. And while living, the living that he knew he couldn't do under his father's roof. I feel trapped. I don't have my independence. I want my money. I don't really care about you. And I'm out of here. And so he spent it on a <laughs> After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So think about that phrase. After he was completely broke, taken advantage of, and kicked to the curb and had nothing left, moment there was a famine in the land. Now isn't that just like the Lord Jesus? (laughs) Right after we've been kicked to the curb, we've sold our wild oats, and nobody's telling us what to do. Something else happens. And it takes us down all the way understand It's amazing how the providence of God joins with our desperate state exactly at the right time. He knows what he's doing. That's like my story. I hit rock bottom when I was 23. And right when I hit bottom, there was nowhere else to turn but to the strong arms of our Lord Jesus. And he's given me the grace to never look back in 47 years. Nobody in this room who has met Christ has a good enough excuse to go back to the pig pen. Nobody. And so we see that the Father let him go. Now, we call that today biblical boundaries, where if there's chaos in your life, within the family, or any other area of your life for that matter, and people do not want to comply with the rules or the expectations. I mean, it happens at work. You don't follow the rules at work, you don't have a job. You don't comply respectfully with the authorities that God placed over your life, you generally end up on the street. And if you don't, you should. It's called boundaries. Now, a boundary is when we draw a line. And the Bible's chock full, of by the way. God has boundaries all over this place. You know how many stop signs there are in the Bible? God says, stop. Don't go this way. Go that way. That's called a boundary. It's for our best interest because he loves us. But we have boundaries too. And so that son knew that he had to leave. Because there's no way he's going to do what he wants under his father's roof, which is appropriate. It was never God's will for a teenager to run a household. Never. Do you agree? It's never God's will for a four-year-old to run a household. Because if a four-year-old runs a household, at four, he becomes a monster at 14. And then they run for office. And then they run for office. They love (laughs)
1: it.
2: So isn't it interesting Well, we don't want to follow the rules. We're in control now. We're taking in control of our life. We're taking our life back. The stupid thing about that is we have no control at all. Especially if God has put a call on your life. It's like a little three-year-old with training wheels thinking he's learning how to ride his bike. Well, he doesn't even know his father has the back of the seat. Mm-hmm. Those boys pride themselves. I'm in control of my life anymore. No, you're not. You're out of control. Mm-hmm. And the one who will control your life and give you a life is in love with to take you right back.
1: Mm-hmm. Divine intervention.
2: And foolish living come together at the right time. It's also said that desperation, we either make huge changes in our life or go in a different direction for two reasons either inspiration or desperation. Most of us in here have come to Christ out of desperation because there was nowhere else to turn. And he knew that. Still took his right in. Let's continue on. Let's see what happens now with his independence. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. That is a good thing. And sometimes when people, especially in rebellion, need to be, be in a need, or have a need, sometimes we need to step back and get out of God's way. Uh-oh. I had that happen to me when my son was a younger man. He was up at 2 in the morning. He wasn't doing well in his life. I've told this before. And I was awakened about 2 in the morning, and I had the sense in my heart that God said, Bill, You are no longer Joe's answer, my son's answer. Get out of my way. So Sometimes people just need to stay in need. And that's many times when we minister to the Native Lords. This is called a boundary. A boundary. So he was in need. Next verse. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. This is not even his own country. He's from Israel. This is a foreign country. It says that he went to a faraway land. He couldn't run fast or far enough, and so he hired himself out to a citizen. Who was, who was a foreigner to him and he was the foreigner and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating so he worked on a farm worked in a pig pen desired the pigs food <clears throat> he was that way. but no one gave him anything now, for the longest time, I thought that you know, at least with his wage, he was given money for food, or maybe even he ate some of the pig slop. Because when I was seventeen, I was sent for six months away on a farm as well, because of my rebellion and wanting nothing to do with Jesus. And guess what job they gave me? Feeding the pigs, my primary job was milking cows. I had six lovely ladies that showed up twice a day, and this wild guy off the streets of San Francisco is now milking cows. But occasionally, me and my friends would go off to the pig pen. Now, at that pig pen, at the top of it was kind of a, a like a den type of area. They had a big metal vat and they would take all of the leftovers from the garbage of the food that the 65 teenagers didn't want, watermelon rinds, fat off of the meat, and they put it in that vat and they would stir it and boil it up and then there was a lever. Those grunting pigs would come into that pen and they'd open a the lever and they would roll in the slop and it was flying everywhere. I went, oh my gosh. Well, this guy couldn't even have that. No one gave him anything. Like he came to the end of himself. That's why I say, when when the Lord's dealing with someone, don't interfere. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Because it wasn't until he had nothing, look at verse 17, that he came to his senses. Let's look at that verse. Interesting. So when he came to his senses, That didn't happen until he was broke, hungry, unloved, and alone. I'm a pastoral counselor. I talk with people about this all the time. It's probably the number one subject in counseling today. He came to his senses, and he said how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back and to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to call your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I'll be a slave for you. I don't want independence anymore. Make me your slave. It's better than what I have right now. So he got up and went to his father. Let's talk about this for a moment. He hires himself out. He has nothing. Why? He squandered it on his riotous, wild living that he thought was his answer. Was gone. And so he's supposed to work in the pig pen and he can't touch the slop and he's starving and nobody cares enough for him to give him anything. And he finally, comes to his senses. Now, for those of you that know Pastor Chuck Swindoll, he's 85 and he's still teaching the gospel. He's written 40 books. He's on the radio. My personal favorite pastor as long as I've known Christ. He says that for many, many people as we, we get older, usually around 40s, some people call it a midlife crisis. I call it a spiritual crisis where all of a sudden we go off our spiritual rails and everything that we taught our children about Christ is turned upside down and we do the exact opposite of what we told them they should never do. Some fathers or mothers have affairs. Some fathers leave home one day appropriately dressed for work in their older vehicle and drive home in a black Corvette <laughs> with a shirt open at their neck and fake hair on their chest, whatever. And they come home. <laughs> My wife knows, oh, honey.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and they come home, and they're like different people. They're like Christ. Chuck Swindoll says this is called a period for this young man and anyone who the Lord now is bringing back, a temporary period of insanity. And I'm telling you, I've dealt with hundreds of these people. And you try to reason with them about their faith and about their family, and they look at you and there's no life in their eyes. I've told two men, you walk away from your family, and you leave your wife and children, and you're going to die a lonely man They looked right at me and said, I'll be fine. Both of those ended back up in my office within the next year on their knees, begging their family back. So that's called coming to your senses. Some people come to them too late, though. This man was done with his period of temporary insanity. And for a moment in time, he had the most clarity that he'd ever had up to that point. And he, in essence, has said, what have I done? What have I done with my life? My home? My faith? You ever been there? I've been there. What have I done? My father treats his slaves better than he treats me. I need to go back to my father. So he turned around, left the pig pan, and was desperate enough to run back home. To run back to Jesus. And I tell you what, We all here, we have family or friends that are away from God, and I'm telling you, when the time is right, they will run to Jesus. They'll run. We need to trust the Lord in that way. So, when you're truly broken, There's what I call a language of brokenness or repentance. Because a lot of us here, you know, we have family and friends and, you know, we're giving them another chance and giving them another chance and giving them another chance and nobody wants to deal with them anymore and giving them more chances and finally everybody throws up their hands and goes, I'm done. Okay? For anyone in your life that's breaking your heart over and over, And you go, I'm done. Well, then they hit a wall. They come to their senses. And they, you go, well, how do I know it's real this time? They start talking differently. They don't even sound the same. They actually start talking differently. I call it the language of repentance. They start acting differently. First of all, they stop blaming everyone for their wrecked life. They stop blaming the government. They stop blaming their family. And they finally look within, this is what repentance and brokenness is, is what have I done? Lord, I can't believe that I've done this to my life. I throw myself at your mercy. That's repentance. It's not just being sorry because we got caught. There's no one else to blame. And you don't care, we don't care. When the Lord gets a hold of our heart, we don't care what it takes to change. We don't care. I'll do anything, Lord, for you to change my life. I'll do anything to get my family back. He said, I'll even be a slave for you. I belong to you. And so they're willing to do anything. They go in a new direction, an entirely new direction. Sometimes that means breaking up with people that have taken them down to the sewer of life. Sometimes that means moving to a different area leaving a job but when the lord's in it like if you tell me where you want me to go i'll do anything anything they don't make excuses anymore there's no more buts in their life i wouldn't have done this but they also are so broken that many of them make restitution Zacchaeus tax collector remember up in the tree thief everybody hates him he was little that's another reason he was up in the tree (laughs) because he couldn't see anything when Jesus was coming by but I think he was also hiding from the people that hated him well Jesus says to Zacchaeus "What, what are you doing up there And and then he said to Zacchaeus, knowing that he was hated, knowing that he was a thief, and knowing that Zacchaeus wasn't even looking for him. He just wanted to see the event. He said, you come down to that tree. I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. What? Eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Zacchaeus was so shocked that this man who he had not even met personally, this Christ, this Lord Jesus, to one day be his Savior, would actually have dinner at his house. It broke him. And he said, Lord, first thing he said, is everything that I have stole in my years as a tax collector, I will pay back. Four times the amount. That's called restitution. And I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I've got to tell it again. When you talk about restitution and brokenness and being a new person, some of you have heard my tuxedo story. When I was 20, I was at a wedding, one of my best friends. It was, a, it, was a, it was a Spanish wedding, and we had very, very nice tuxedos with all these black swirls, black and brown swirls, and a bun. And, and I rented this tuxedo. And I liked it so much, I didn't bring it back. But I kept it. I stole it. And I started getting these notices from the, the men's store. We're charging you a fine every day that you keep this tuxedo. And I had it out for a couple years, then I came, came to Christ, and I'm at a seminar, and he's talking about restitution and repentance and brokenness, and I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, i got to bring that tuxedo back. <laughs> so, under my home at that time, I lived in a flat in San Francisco, there was a laundromat right below us, and I just took it down to the laundromat, and I said, it's cleaning up, it's going back. I put it in the, the closet, and I said, Lord, when you want me to take it back, just kind of nudge me, and I'll take it back. Sure enough, I woke up one morning and I felt today's a day. So I I didn't have a car then because that was lost in my second drunk driving before I came to Christ. <laughs> so I got on a, a, a train, underground train in San Francisco, the board, and I went downtown and I took that coat up and up to the men's department and I went up a little escalator and the guy came out and I asked for the manager. Guy comes out, he goes, I am the manager. How can I help you? I want to return my tuxedo that I rented two years ago. And I said, furthermore, I have saved some money, and I'll start making you payments. Whatever the restitution is that I'll make, I'll start making you payments. I have 90 bucks. He said, sir, nobody has ever done this in my career as a manager. Why are you doing this? I said, I'm a Christian. God's got a hold of my life. And I'm making restitution for my past life. He goes, you know what? The insurance has already paid it off. Keep your $90. And thank you very much. I don't remember taking the escalator downstairs. I floated out of that when we are broken nothing will keep us from following christ and picking up our cross nothing so people that are in and out wishy-washy i don't want to hear it he doesn't want to hear it pick up your cross and follow me is pretty straightforward And so, this was the start of a new life for this young man. Let's read what he did next. Now the father steps in. Verse. Verse 20. I can't please. 20? 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now why is that? Father didn't run after him. Notice the father didn't say, wait a minute, son, let's renegotiate. The father let him go. So whoever that person is in your life is refusing Christ. You love him, but you gotta let him go. It's interesting to me that the father saw him. Is it possible that every day he looked out of his front porch window? Every day he looked for his wayward son. He saw him. He probably also saw him because his clothing was rather tattered. The thing that really gets me is that was his son. He knew his gait as he walked. He knew his mannerisms perfectly. He said, that's my son. And he doesn't just stand on the porch. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, I told you so. You should have listened to me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I want my money back. He didn't say, it serves you right. I hope you've learned your lesson now. No, instead, this older man runs to his son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's called reckless grace. And that's the kind of grace he has for you and I. It's reckless, it's never withholding or embarrassed. That's the Jesus we serve, that's the Father we serve. What does he do to him? Look at uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Listen to this. For those of you that are prone to guilt about your life and your past, don't miss this. You carry shame. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his bare broken feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Which is exactly what they did to Christ for us. He was slaughtered. We wear his robes of righteousness. And we carry the signet ring of his ownership in our life. Notice the father ignored his guilt. He's saying, Oh, father, I'm so sorry I did this. And the father ignores it. Bring the robe. Let's celebrate. My lost son has been found. So when you go back to Christ again and again and again and again, and ask him to lift your shame or to forgive you again, he did that the first time you asked him. And he looks past your sinful past to the celebration of you being back home. Man, I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't, doesn't it? For this son of mine, verse 24, was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he was found. And they began to celebrate. And since the day you and I broke the sound barrier of repentance and said yes to Jesus, The celebration has continued to this day. Uh, Close with this sad note, folks. Then there's the older brother. The older brother became angry and refused, oh, let me jump back up, verse 26. So the older brother called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back and safe. And earlier in verse 23, there was singing and there was dancing and there was celebration Because this son came home to his father. When you and I confess Christ, there is celebration. And that's how he looks at us from that point on. And when you say, but what about my past? He just doesn't even answer. Son of the blood, continue to have joy and rejoice in my grace. That's what you need to think about. So the other older brother became angry and refused to go in. Can you believe that suddenness? He refused to go in the house. The Pharisees refused to be joyful that Christ would eat with tax collectors and sinners because they were too moral and holy. Disgusting. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So now we know that that's why he did it. He's probably thinking inheritance. Older brother? Yet you're, you never gave me even a younger goat. Now let look at where is that coming from? You never did anything for me. Actually, he's showing more disdain from his father than the first, the younger brother. Yet you never gave me a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say my brother or use his name. This is your son. He's not my brother. He's your son. You talk about bitter. This son of yours who squandered your property, squandered your property, a little bit exaggerated. With prostitutes. It never said his wild living had prostitutes. He's saying it. Never said he was with prostitutes. Just said he lived a wild life. With prostitutes. Think of the worst. Comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours already. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again, and now is found. So I would say in conclusion, there's four things that are true with this story and true with you and I. People are going to rebel. We rebel. We are going to rebel against Christ. We are going to go to a far land, and we're going to do whatever we want. Sometimes it happens as teens, older in life, whatever. Some some people never come back. We don't repent, generally, until we lose everything. We don't repent until we lose everything. I've seen many, many men not repent Of the way they've treated their families, unless they're divorced or close to it. Then clarity comes all of a sudden. And vice versa. That goes to it. He is going to restore you. Once you repent. He'll give more back than you could ever imagine when you meet Christ. Others will be angry about it. Other people in your life will be angry at you because they're angry at him. He said that would happen. And he's always gracious. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for those, first of all, that have prodigals in their life. Would you give them hope? Help them get out of the way. Know when they should reach out or contact them. But Lord, bring them home. Bring them home, we pray. And for us, Lord, would you help us never forget the grace and the patience and the love of the Father's heart through Christ. May we always believe that you celebrate over us with dancing never to hold our past before us again because of the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings on you. Thank you for your patience. We'll see you in a couple of Sundays.